Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. We're in the ancient village of Capernaum, and there's a synagogue behind me. Now, the synagogue is where the Jewish believers would meet for their times of worship and prayer and study of their scriptures. And this ancient synagogue, although it was not built at the time of Jesus, is built over top of the site where the original synagogue was in the time of Jesus. We know that Jesus taught in this synagogue, that he did miracles in this synagogue. And it was all throughout this region of Galilee that Jesus would go to the synagogues and that he would teach, we read about that, that he would debate with the leaders. And it was there that he did some incredible miracles. Here's one example, Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. Going on from that place, he went to their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to be good on the Sabbath. Then, watch this, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. We know that when we read through the Gospels over and over again, Jesus showed who he was through the miracles that he performed. The good news the Bible tells us is this, that those miracles were not just for that time. He didn't stop doing miracles in the first century. We know and believe based on the promises of God's word that Jesus is still healing people today, that that gift of healing, spiritual healing, physical healing, emotional healing is still there because of what Jesus has done for us. We are in a series of messages that uh, we have called More Than a Story. And it's given us an opportunity both by looking at the places of Scripture as well as the, the stories of the gospel to have an opportunity to do more than just let them be Sunday school fables or fairy tales, but to really hear that these are stories that happen in real places to real people. And when we get a hold of that, then we can allow them to really impact our lives as well. And when you read through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, one of the things that you see repeatedly are the miracles that Jesus performed. Oftentimes, miracles of physical healing. When there were people that needed a physical touch from him, he was able to bring restoration and freedom from disease. He would bring healing to people. You see lame people who walk blind that see, deaf that hear. There's the lepers that are made cleansed and whole. Again, you even see instances where someone is dead and Jesus comes to them and they come back to life again. And, and when we think about this, this is really significant because in the first century, they didn't have the same medical care that we have today. They didn't have the same resources that we have. And in a culture that was mainly based on manual labor, if you had that kind of disease or disability, it would put your life at a place where you could uh, lose all of your resource, you could lose all of your ability to work. If you didn't have a family to take care of you, that's why so many times we read about people who are begging in scripture because there was no infrastructure or no care or protection for those with disease and disability as we might see today. So people would approach healing in a passionate way. And oftentimes when we talk about healing today, people approach it in a passionate way. Sometimes people are skeptical about this subject of healing. They say, well, I, I don't know if I really believe this. In fact, it's helped by the caricature when we talk about healing so many times of the television healing evangelists that we see on TV or in movies. Have you seen that? And sometimes when we talk about healing, people are, are actually desperate 
They're hungry for God to do some kind of physical work in their body. Sometimes when we talk about healing, people are curious. I'm not so sure what I believe about this, whether it's even really real at all. And today what I wanna do is I wanna talk about from scripture about this subject of divine healing, of how God can bring a physical touch of restoration to our bodies. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter six today, whether you have it in a print or a digital form, Luke chapter six, and as we look at this story, I wanna give you five observations on healing. Five things that I think it's good for us to look at and to know and to remember. Five observations on the subject of healing. Now this isn't an exhaustive theology on this subject. It's just some observations from this passage of scripture that I think are good for us to consider and that God would have us look at today. Five observations on healing. We're gonna begin in Luke chapter six with verse six. Here's what we read. On another Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue and was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. Now this story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke gives us the most information about the guy who is, is the subject of this story. It says that his right hand was shriveled. It means that either somewhere in his nerves or in his muscles, he had some kind of damage, whether it was, was from birth or from an accident, we don't know, but somehow his hand was dried or withered is the word that is used there, which meant it was inactive. It was probably smaller than the other hand, it was incurable, and it was non-functional. So again, in a culture that was so much based on manual labor of some kind, this probably put him at an extreme disadvantage. It may have been something that changed his whole life, and we read that he was there in that synagogue. What I find so interesting here is that in a synagogue full of people, this is the guy that Jesus focuses on. He comes to this place, basically it was church, and he comes to church And in the midst of that service, who he focuses on, on this guy with a need. And I think it's just a great reminder for us, and this is the first thing that I hope you'll see today as we talk about healing. Number one, observation number one, your need is not unnoticed. Your need, whether it be a physical need in your body, whether it be spiritual, financial, whether it be emotional, whatever it is, that place where you have a need, Jesus sees it and he knows it. I think sometimes we may come to church or we might think God doesn't really know what's going on in my life. And I wanna encourage you, based on this example, when you come into his presence with a need, he knows it, he sees it, and he's willing to respond. And what this also shows us is that in this room full of people, the one that Jesus focuses on is not just the one with the need, but it reminds us about life and how life works, that sickness and death are a reality of life. Sickness and death are a reality of life. And before we talk about healing, this is one of the things that we've kind of got to focus on. I don't, I don't want to be kind of a negative or a downer today, but the reality is we will face sickness, and at some point, we will all face death. I try to take pretty good care of my cars. I, I do the things that need done to them. We change the oil. I put gas in them occasionally. We change the tires. You know, do all those kinds of things. But eventually, I've got to take my car into the shop, not just for maintenance, you get an issue with the transmission, you get an issue with the engine, you've gotta get those things looked at and repaired. And over time, the body begins to rust a little bit. I've had a couple of cars that I have driven all the way until they can be driven no more. Sitting in my driveway, I have to call the undertaker with the flatbed truck, do you know what I mean? Sir, I need you to come and get my beloved Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra. 
I hated to see that thing go. Years of memories, stories. I took good care of it. But at some point, that was all she had left. And the same is true about our bodies, isn't it true? Sickness and death, we'll look at this in a moment. They're the reality of life. But when you face those needs, God notices. Let's look at the next verse. Luke chapter six, verse seven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Do you see the, the words there that are really key? Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those are kind of the spiritual hot shots. Those were the guys also that made sure that all the religious rules were followed. And they were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They were watching him closely. Have you ever felt like someone was watching your every move? They were just looking for that time and that place where they could catch you and where you would slip up. It's not a very fun place to be. Today's kind of a, a pretty significant day around the Gilligan house. Today is our 23rd wedding anniversary. And uh, yeah. Your clapping for me means, Chad, you married up. And your clapping for Rhonda means we are praying for you. I know exactly what that means. We were high school sweethearts. I think I was 16, she was 15. When we met, she had lived in Chicago and her family moved back to the, the area where her dad was from, where I was from in Warren, Ohio. We met at church and we started to date and a little while after we were dating, um, I was at this event where there were churches from all over the, the country really that were there within the Assemblies of God, the fellowship that we're a part of. And uh, there was a bunch of different churches that were there. And I was there, I'm 16 years old, you know, I'm kind of just a kid. I've just kind of started dating Rhonda. And these two guys in their 20s come walking up to me. And they get right up in my personal space. You know how when you want to try to intimidate somebody? I mean, they were kind of, they were all stretched out. And they were all kind of hovering over top of me. They were right up in my grill. Here's how they greeted me. So you're Chad Gilligan. Yeah? Do you know Rhonda Boyd? Yeah? You're dating Rhonda Boyd? Yeah? Here, these two guys had been youth leaders in the youth group at the church that she was a part of in Chicago. And they came to let me know that Chicago was not that far away. And that if I didn't treat her right, they would come and treat me right, if that made any sense, right? They were just watching me. They were looking to see, is there anything we can accuse you of, mister? That's how these Pharisees and the teachers of the law were approaching Jesus. They were watching his every move. Why? Well, it had to do with this issue of healing. Now, in a minute, we'll talk about why it was such a big deal then. But this was a high-stakes matter, this healing. And I would encourage you that healing is actually kind of a high stakes matter today. I mean, when we talk about it, there's all kinds of interesting feelings that people have based on their experience in the past, based on the questions that they have. It can even be kind of controversial because it's supernatural, right? When we pray for healing, we're asking God to do something that isn't normal. And it's been challenged and it's been ridiculed in our culture. People have tried to fake these kinds of things. And we've had uncertainty maybe in some of our experience. And so when we think about healing sometimes, we think about it in this way. Either you win or you lose. If you pray for healing, if you get it, you win. If you don't, you lose. Now we might not communicate it that way, but oftentimes that's the way we feel. Either I win or I lose. But I'm not so sure that God feels that way about it. 
Which kind of comes to this second observation that I want you to see from this story, both then and today. Number two, healing comes with questions. When we talk about this, this issue of healing, we find ourselves asking some interesting questions when we talk about this topic. And when I was, was praying and preparing for today, I felt like there were four questions that were good for us to consider as we talk about healing. Here's the first one. Question number one, interesting question, can Jesus heal? Can he heal? And we talk about healing, but is this even possible? Can Jesus really heal? I mean, this is part of the pushback that many people have made about this, this thought of healing. But if you look at scripture, if you're gonna take this book at its word, it's very clear, Jesus is our healer. It tells us that he healed all throughout his ministry. In fact, when the apostles were trying to explain his ministry, here's what they said, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Not only did Jesus heal, but then if you keep reading the book of Acts, you'll see that the apostles, when they came across people who were physically in need, they were able to be used by God to heal them. When you read Paul's writings in the epistles, you get the feeling that this idea of divine healing was not unusual, but that it was to be part of what God did in the local church. When we read this, we see that Jesus can heal. In fact, there's some some people that teach or certain schools of theology, schools of thought that say that Jesus healed back in biblical times, but that was just to make a point. He was just trying to get our attention. But now that we have the Bible, now that we have God's word, he doesn't need to get our attention anymore because we have the perfect presentation of who he is. So as a result, he's not doing miracles in the same way as he did in biblical times. And, and some people, maybe you've been taught that, maybe you've heard that. Let me tell you what we teach and what we believe here. We believe this, that if Jesus was doing it in the first century, he's doing it in the 21st century. Amen. And that if he healed then, he's still healing us today. How do I know that? Because I've seen it. I've seen him be at work in people's lives. Somebody just stopped me in the atrium after service and said a story about how she had had all this pain and prayed and now God has brought healing to her in recent times. I know it for myself. A couple of years ago, I developed something on my, my vocal cords and had to go to the doctor and checked it out. They said, boy, this is something you don't want to mess with because I don't know if you've noticed, but this is my moneymaker right here, right? It pays the bills. And so they said, look, you gotta take care of this thing. You gotta get more rest, you gotta drink more water, you gotta do these vocal exercises. And, and I began to change some things. And I mentioned this one Wednesday night, I was teaching a class, and, and I said, so if you think about it, it'd be great if you'd just continue to pray for me. It's kind of a, something that I'm going through. And one of the ladies, Jean, in the, in the class said, well, we're gonna pray for you right now. She didn't even give me an option. <laughs> we're gonna pray. Can I tell you something? From that point on, there was something different. I experienced something. What do I call it? I call it healing. Raise your hand if you know that God has healed you, that he's touched your body, you've experienced that. Yeah, I know a lot of you people, you're not liars. This is what God does. He heals us. He can heal us. Which then leads to this second question that we gotta consider. Question number two, will Jesus heal? If you believe that he can, then you gotta ask the question, well, will he heal? Will he heal me? Will he heal my loved one? Will he heal that person I know? Because if he's not gonna, then maybe I'm not gonna put the time and emotion into this thing. It's a good question. I gotta tell you, I don't have an answer for it. Because every situation is so different. I know and I believe that Jesus is the healer, 
But that doesn't mean he's obligated to heal us. God, God makes those choices, he makes those decisions. Maybe you came in here today with chronic halitosis or a bad ingrown toenail and you're like, God, I just want you to heal me. He's not obligated to do that just because you're in church and praying. But here's what I do know. God may not do what we ask. The, the, the theologian D.A. Carson has said this. God may not do what we ask, but we must never think that it's because he's not able to do so. It's not because he can't. Sometimes he doesn't because God's got something different in mind. Which leads to this third question that I, that I think is really important for us to ask. In fact, some of you are probably already asking it. Question number three, why does Jesus not always heal? If he's the healer, why doesn't he always heal us? This is a big question. Because I know people who have prayed for healing, and I don't mean just, just a bedtime prayer. I mean, they've, they've diligently sought. They've prayed and fasted. They've gone to people who, who are known to be used in the spiritual gift of healing and been prayed for. They've had people anoint them with oil and pray the prayer of faith. They've done everything right. They've had the right doctrine. They've had the right faith. They've had the right biblical teaching. They've done all the right steps, and then they're not healed. Why is that? So the truth is, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty troubling thing if you've been through that experience. There's no easy answers to that question, but there's two things I think are, are probably good for us to think about. One is this, God's timing of healing may be different than ours. God's timing of healing may be different than ours. If I pray for healing, I want healing, and I want it now, right? But God might say, now might not be the time how do we know that to be true? Well, look at this. Acts chapter three, there's this interesting story about how Peter and John, now this is after Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus has ascended back into heaven and Peter and John are making their way to the temple to pray. And it says this, Acts chapter three, verse two. It says, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So there was this guy, he was lame from birth. Every day he went and sat at this gate to the temple and he would beg from people. How often was he placed there to beg? He was placed there to beg every day. day. And so one day Peter and John are walking and if you read through the rest of the story, the, the gentleman that was lame says, do you have anything for me? And they say, we don't have any cash for you, but in the name of Jesus Christ, we give you healing. And it says he goes walking and leaping and praising God. His whole life is changed. What's interesting about that story is that was not a unique route for Peter and John. They'd walked it before. That was the way to get into the temple. And so they probably passed that guy because he sat there. I don't know. How often was he there? He was there every day. So they'd passed him before. Not only had they passed him before, you knew who else had most likely passed him before on more than one occasion? Jesus himself. And Jesus hadn't healed him yet. Because Jesus didn't care, because Jesus didn't love him, because Jesus was just kind of selective about who got it and who didn't? No, because somehow God knew in his timing there was something more going on because he could have been healed before, which this dude probably would have loved, but do you realize when you read through the book of Acts, that healing that takes place in Acts chapter three actually becomes one of the most pivotal moments in the history of the early church. People get saved because of that. There's a change in what happens to the apostles because of that. Because God's timing was, I know that this is the right time for that healing, better than one that you might think is right. You ever ever been on a road trip 
and you're, you're driving, maybe you're driving for hours and hours, and you get to this point where you're like, I'm, I'm kind of hungry. I'd like to stop and get something to eat. And you're driving through the middle of nowhere, and then all of a sudden you see one of those blessed blue signs on the side of the road. You know what I mean? And they list the restaurants at the next exit. And you're like, yes, I didn't think I could make it any longer. I gotta stop. So you look at the restaurants, and you pull off, and you realize all of a sudden it's nothing but some gnarly fast food, right? But you're just hungry. You don't know what's coming. You just know, I want to eat, and I want to eat now. And so you pull in, and you get yourself a little something to eat. You go through the drive-thru because you're in a hurry. And you get back. You get back on the road. You've got your food. You're almost done eating it. You get three exits down, and you look at the next blue sign, and your favorite restaurant is there. Are you kidding me? They got one of these right there? And I just filled my body with toxins? For real? See, the deal was you would have much rather waited. You could have held out three more exits for what you really longed for, but you thought you couldn't make it, so you just pulled off and went after what you thought you knew because you didn't know what was ahead. All you could see was the street level. If you had been above it all, you would have known what was at each exit. God doesn't see things from the street level. Do you know how he sees it? He sees it far above. And this is huge for us to understand. God sees things from a different vantage point. And so when he looks at your life, he says, I know you'd like to pull off right here and get something to eat, but if you'll just hold out three more exits, what I have for you is far more blessing than you would have gotten back here. He could have healed the guy then, but for some reason he chose to wait, and it became a turning point in the life of the church, which which we'll look at in just a moment why healing is so important to begin with. See, God's definition of timing may be different than ours. But there's a second thing I want you to see about why God does not sometimes heal. And I I think for some of you, you you need to let this just kind of wrap around your brain for a minute. Not only is God's definition of timing sometimes different, but God's definition of healing may be different than ours. God's definition of healing may be different than ours. One of the toughest conversations I have to have as a pastor, and I've had it several times over the years, is when somebody says, look, I know all about healing. I got all the scriptures down from Psalms to 1 Peter. I've not only quoted all those scriptures, but I've prayed them over my loved one. And my loved one didn't get healed. And they died. So if I believed and I prayed and I stood on those promises and they didn't work, are they even real? How can I put my faith in a God who doesn't do what he says he's gonna do because he didn't heal him? It's a tough question to ask. I can tell you it's a tough question to try to answer. 20 years ago, my dad died of cancer after a two-year battle. And um, he loved the Lord. He prayed for healing. I come from a strong Christian background in our family. And our family was praying for my dad, believing for healing. We, we were a part of a great church that I grew up in. And I can literally tell you without any exaggeration that hundreds of people around the world were praying for my dad to be healed. And after a two-year battle with cancer, he died. Early on in the, kind of in the first part of his sickness, I was praying one, one night, I was home all by myself, and 
was praying, and as I did through the whole season, that God would bring healing to my dad's life. And I remember so clearly this one time, I remember the song that was playing, I remember where I was at and where I was praying, and God dropped this thought in my head that just maybe my dad's healing might come in a different way than what I was praying for. Not that God wouldn't heal him, it just might not be by my definition. See, my definition of healing was no more cancer and a long life for Bob Gilligan. That's what I was praying for. I was praying for short-term healing. God's definition of healing was a perfect release from sickness and eternal life. I was praying for short-term healing. God had in mind eternal healing. What he had in mind actually was complete healing, and it was different from what I was asking for. But I have to believe that it's better, that God's definition was better than my definition. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say it wasn't painful. I didn't say that to this day, there's still times when I just feel ripped off that my dad died so young. But what I know is this, that I have to trust that somehow in the midst of all of that, God, remember he has a vantage point that's different from mine? Somehow God saw what was in the next few exits. and said, look, Chad, you just gotta trust me. I healed him, just not based on your definition of healing. God didn't fail. He did what he knew was right. Which leads us then to this fourth question. If I don't know if he's gonna heal and if sometimes he doesn't, question number four, should I pray for healing? Because if it's this high risk stakes, should I even pray? Do you know what the answer is? Absolutely. Why? Well, here's the deal. If you're sick, if you have a physical illness of some kind, a disease or a disability, or there's something that has come your way that you believe God could heal you from, here's what James chapter five says. If anyone is sick among you, let them pray. So if you don't pray for healing, the bottom line is, it's not even that, that, that you might not believe. It could be that you're being disobedient to what God has asked you to do. It's, it's right there. It's in his word. But this is the deal. It says we should pray the prayer of faith and believe that God is going to heal. And this is where we've got to remember what faith is all about. We talked about this last week. Remember, faith isn't just me working up enough wishful thinking, that I get enough hype and emotion worked up that I believe that if I can raise the hypometer, then God's got to heal me. Faith is something different. Faith is worshipful trust, not wishful thinking. It's me saying, God, because of who you are, I worship you, and I trust you with my situation. I trust you with my illness. I put my faith in you. It's not wishful thinking. It's me believing, God, that you can heal me, and so I ask that you do. I think sometimes in our sickness is where faith gets manipulated the most. And people say, maybe if you had enough faith, or if only you did this, or if only you did that, then maybe you'd be healed. And the bottom line is this, faith isn't about bargaining with God, it's not manipulating others, it's high stakes, and it's when I say, God, I put my trust in you. Which takes us back to our text, look at this, Luke chapter six, verse eight. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. All this dude wanted to do was go to church, right? (laughs) So he's just sitting there. 
I'm sure it's not his first time there. He probably knew most of the people in the room. And he's sitting there and Jesus points him out and he says, you, come up here in front of everybody. Me? Yeah, come on up here. How many of you would love it if I just called you on the platform right now? Most people are like, no way, dude. Jesus called him right in front of everybody to embarrass him, to point out his weakness. No, because Jesus knew what he was about to do to bless this man, and he knew that through that blessing, there was something that he was trying to show. It was pretty significant, because we're talking about it 2,000 years later. Observation number three. God allows our lives to tell his story. God allows our lives, what we go through, to tell his story story. And it's important for us to understand this, that as we talk about healing, God is working out his purposes in our lives. And if we're going to understand healing, then we have to even back it up a little bit more. Because before we can talk about what the Bible says about healing, then we need to understand what the Bible says about suffering. Because before there is healing, there is suffering. Isn't that true? You don't have to be healed if you don't have something to be healed from. Before there's healing, there's suffering. You can't have a miracle unless you're in a situation to need one, which makes some of you go, okay, I will sign up for the no miracle club then. <laughs> I'll avoid the suffering. We've already talked about it. You, you can't. It's gonna come your way. At some point, it comes to all of us. So what we need then is we must have a biblical theology of suffering. We must understand what the scriptures say about this idea of suffering because we're gonna have it at some point. If we're gonna understand healing, then we need to understand suffering. Here's what the Bible shows to us. We will suffer in this life. It's just a reality. We will suffer in this life. Jesus even told it to his disciples. Look, you live in a fallen world. In this life, you will have trouble. Jesus says, I have overcome the world but you will have trouble, not because God is angry, not because he's mean, not because he's unjust, but because we live in a fallen world. There's sin and there's sickness and there's disease. And it's caused all of us in this world at some point to suffer. And not until we get to heaven or in God's perfect presence will that suffering truly come to an end, right? Isn't that what the Bible teaches us? Here's kind of a crude example, but I think it'll help us. For some of you, you are not so enraptured right now in this sermon. You are actually thinking about lunch. Can I get an amen? So, I mean, you're sitting there and you can feel it. There's a discomfort in your tummy. I don't mean to be weird or anything, but I have it too. Thank you very much. Right? You're kind of like, I'm kind of hungry. I can't wait till he stops talking so I can start eating. That's what you're thinking. And the reality is until you get out of here and are able to put something in your belly, you're gonna have that kind of discomfort. You're gonna have that emptiness. You're gonna have that longing. You're gonna have that person sits next to you, right? Until you get to the point where you can satisfy that somehow. We live in a fallen world. And until we're in God's presence, we won't be satisfied. Which means as a result, there is suffering. And the question that we sometimes ask is, why is it that it seems like some people suffer more than others? Have you seen that to be true? You see some people and you just go, why is it that it always seems to come their way? I think more important than asking the question why when we're in suffering is to ask the question what? What will you do with this suffering that you experience? 
So suffering is, is a fact of life. Here's another thing, though, that God is with us in our suffering. This is a biblical principle, and it's true. God is with us in our suffering. It's a great promise in Isaiah chapter 43, verse two. Look at what it says. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Oftentimes as believers, we like to think, I won't have rivers and I won't have waters and there'll never be any fire. Do you see what the promise said there? It says, when you pass through the waters. Well, I didn't even want to do that. (laughs) When you walk through the fire, it doesn't say that it won't happen. What it says is when it does happen, God will be with you. He will be with you in your suffering, which helps us to remember that suffering is never wasted. Suffering, it's not enjoyable, but it's never wasted. 2 Corinthians chapter four, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We have to realize that even in our suffering, God is working something out and we have to trust him in that. So we have to have a biblical theology of suffering, which then means that we must have a biblical theology of healing. What does the Bible say about healing? We must have a biblical theology of understanding what healing is all about. And we'll look at some scriptures about that in just a second, but here's what I want you to get on the the very beginning of this. Why does God even heal in the first place? Why, Why does he even work in that way? John chapter 20, verse 30. Look at what John says about Jesus. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Do you see what he said here? When Jesus did miracles, it wasn't for the show. He wasn't trying to entertain He wasn't just trying to gather a crowd. He did miracles because he wanted people to see the power of God. And then when they saw God's power, it wasn't just to bless them, but it's so others would believe and as a result, they could receive forgiveness and salvation and hope as well. The point of miracles is not just the blessing. Healing is a blessing to inspire believing. You're not just blessed so that you don't have pain or so that you don't have sickness. Healing is a blessing to inspire believing so that God can receive glory. A friend of mine passed along a story to me just this week about a missionary who's in a country that I can't mention because there's zero Christians there. He's in a very dangerous place. And one of the things that he started to do is to go into some of the homes of the people that he's developing relationships with and he's introduced them to scripture. And one family in particular has been reading scripture even on their own without this guy and they will invite the missionary's family to come over and almost have a worship service with them to sing their Christian songs. They wanna know more about God. And this is what he writes, that one time in between the songs, The father in this family said that he hasn't been able to use his arm and pointed to a vein that was black in his arm. We explained the seriousness and that we were not sure what would happen if the blackness were to spread and maybe even reach his heart. We laid hands on his forearm where the black vein grew. When we lifted our hands off, he was healed, the vein was normal, and there was no pain. That's a miracle, isn't it? 
But look at what this family goes on to say. Following that gathering, this family said this testimony. We tell everyone now that we read the Bible and pray to Jesus and we go on about the difference that he has made in our lives. Understand here, he doesn't just do miracles so you'll be blessed. When he does the miracle, he wants that blessing to inspire others to believe. Does that make sense? Back to the text, Luke chapter six, verse nine. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Remember it was the Pharisees who were watching Jesus every move. Why was that? Because they were the rule cops. And they said on the Sabbath day, on this special day, you are to rest. You're not to do any work. And Jesus, if you're doing miracles, they didn't like him by the way. Jesus, if you're doing miracles, that's work. And you can't do work on the Sabbath because those are the rules. And Jesus says, what's more important? Keeping the rules or helping someone who's in need? What's more important, that I follow your rules or that I, that I stay true to this relationship? And this takes us to the fourth thing that we see here, fourth observation, that people matter to Jesus. People matter to Jesus. They're important to who he is. Jesus is more interested in your relationship than your religion. Jesus is more interested in your relationship than he is in your religion. That's why Jesus died to save us. We read about this in scripture and we see it. That Jesus died because he cared about us. Jesus died to save us. You may know this to be true, that Jesus died on a cross. He had never committed any sin, but he died on that cross to take the punishment for your sin and for my sin. And on the third day he rose again so that we could know life from him. And we read about this in scripture, Romans chapter five, verse 10. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? See, he went to the cross so that we could know forgiveness, so that we could know hope, so that we could know salvation. The Bible says that if you will call on the name of the Lord, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. He died to save us. But understand this, that's true as well. Jesus died not just to save us, Jesus died to heal us. See, because of his death, because of his shed blood, the power is there for us to experience healing. How do we know this? Look at what scripture says. Psalm 103 verse three says that God is the one who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Centuries before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah wrote this about the Messiah who would come, Jesus. He says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are Not only was that Old Testament, but listen to what Peter says about that same scripture. First Peter chapter two, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus is our healer. Scripture makes it very clear. He's the one we put our trust in. He's the one we put our confidence in. Jesus is our healer. Verse 10 of Luke chapter six. 
Jesus looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. The Gospel of Mark gives us just a little bit more detail in what happened in that moment. Look at this, Mark chapter three, verse five. Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. I thought that's an interesting detail about Jesus, that he got angry and he was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. I wonder wonder why he was so upset. He looked around the room and he actually, he got angry when he saw them. He was distressed at their stubbornness. What did we see last week? When we looked at this last week, what did we see amazed Jesus? That Jesus is amazed by our faith when we have it and when we don't. That's the thing that gets his attention. So he looks around the room and he's saying, look, do you see what I'm offering you? I'm offering you hope. I'm offering you life. I'm offering you God's very best. And instead what he saw was their stubborn hearts and he got angry. Did he get angry because he was egotistical? Do you think? I want you to like me. No. He got angry because he knew he had something wonderful for them and they were missing it and they were refusing it. As a parent, have you ever had to give medicine to a sick child who didn't want it? I'm gonna shove this thing down your throat, kid. Why? Because I know it's what you need. That's why Jesus got angry. Because he saw what he had for them and they weren't seeing it. Look, Jesus is looking for people of faith. He's looking for people who will trust him and believe in him. And then he gives this guy this bold invitation, right? He says, stretch out your hand. And the guy said, are you kidding me? You want me to do what? Jesus, this is the issue. I can't stretch out my hand. I can't do that. That's been the problem all along, what if he had said, Jesus, I, I, don't, I don't want to? Not in front of all these people. Jesus, I don't want to because, um, well, that's, that's the deal. I can't. Jesus, I don't, I don't want to because what if it doesn't work? Instead, Jesus said to him, I want you to stretch out your hand. And when he did, it was completely restored. We must be willing to stretch when Jesus invites us to. I think that's true in every area of our lives. When he asks you to take a step of faith, when he encourages you to trust in him, we've gotta be willing to stretch, to take that step and say, Jesus, you can have what I have. It's yours. I need you. And when he took that step of faith, God restored him completely. So in just a few minutes, what I want to invite you to do is, is take a stretch. Pastor John's going to lead us in that song that we uh, sang during the offering. It says, I believe in you because you're the God of miracles. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. And um, if you're here today and you need a physical touch of healing in your body, then I'm going to ask you to do exactly what Jesus called that man to do. I'm going to ask you to come front and center. Whether you're in this room, maybe you're in auditorium too, maybe you're even watching this on a, on a screen somewhere, I'm gonna ask you to respond in some way, maybe to kneel, maybe to stand up, but to do something to say, God, I need a healing touch from you.
And then we're gonna pray together in just a moment. But sometimes what it takes is a stretch because here's the fifth thing, the last thing I want you to see. Faithful obedience is the first step toward healing. If that man hadn't filled with faith, obeyed what Jesus had asked him to do, well, this would be a pretty disappointing sermon, wouldn't it? But instead, with faithful obedience, he trusted God. And the healing came. So I'm going to ask you to stand just right where you are, if you would, please. Pastor John, would you begin just to lead us in that chorus? And I want you to make this your prayer. Would you affirm this and say, God, I believe in you. I believe in you because you're the God of miracles. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Sing it with a heart filled with faith. I'm going to ask right now, if you're here and you, you need to stretch, you need a healing touch in your body from the Lord right now, as Pastor John begins to sing, would you just come and stand down here at the front, just like Jesus did? I'm calling you front and center. If you know you need a physical touch of healing in your body, as we sing this song, would you come, allow yourself to be in a position, maybe a stretch for some of you, make you a little uncomfortable, but let's begin to pray and believe that God's going to bring this healing. kind of move towards the center so that we've got room. A lot of folks coming for believing today. God's bringing healing. Thank you, Lord. me. I believe you can bring healing. I believe in you. All throughout this room, would you sing that? Let's lift this place with faith. God, I believe in you. next few moments. 
I'm going to ask you to begin to pray for them with a heart filled with faith the same way that you want somebody to pray for you. Just begin to pray and believe that God's going to bring healing. Go ahead and do that right now. Just begin to pray for them. You don't need to know what the need is. Just pray for healing. Father, we ask right now that you would bring restoration and that you would bring healing. God, you know the places where disease has come in. And Father, I ask that in Jesus' name, instead you would bring restoration and you would bring strength. God, you would bring your peace. Father, you know where there's pain. We ask that you'd bring relief. Father, we know where there's things that aren't, that aren't functioning. But God, we pray that you'd bring restoration. You know those that are praying for relief from pain. God, you know those that are praying to conceive. God, you know those that are praying for you to do a miraculous touch. And so in Jesus' name, as we pray, as we believe, God, we trust in you. You are the one. You are the one. We trust in the risen one. We put our hope in you today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Bring healing. Bring restoration. Bring your touch. We thank you, Father. We thank you, in this moment you are bringing healing that you are touching bodies that you're bringing restoration God that you're answering prayers that you're satisfying desires that in this moment at this altar in people's lives in people's homes God right now you're doing miraculous things that you're bringing healing Father, we also believe that you're starting a process of healing in some people's lives. That what is being initiated by faith today, in your timing and in your way, you are beginning that process of healing. And Lord, as we go out from here, I know that the enemy will come against some and say that this isn't real, that God doesn't heal, that he doesn't care. And in Jesus' name, we stand on the promises of your word that you not only forgive all our sins, but you heal all our diseases that because of the stripes that you took by your wounds, we are healed. That in the same way that you went about healing 2,000 years ago, you're healing right now in this moment. So Lord, we stand on that. 
We trust in you. We look forward to what we'll hear this week, what we'll see in our lives as you bring healing today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Father, would you send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.